Our church, our family, and that's the series we've been in. I'm going to wrap it up, but just before I do, and uh, think about that word family. Most of you know, and some of you may not, uh, my dad, 93 years of age. He's been with us the last seven years. Seven years ago, we felt it was time for them to sell their home and move here. They lived by my brother in Louisville, Kentucky. And three and a half years ago, my mom was promoted, and she went to Jesus. She went to heaven. And Thursday afternoon, my dad went to be with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And um, we're grateful for that. We really are, because he gave us, not only I had all these years with him, but seven years where he was part of this church. You guys were so kind to him, loved him so well. He was very hard of hearing. His mind was sharp, though, and uh, he was a blessing in my life. And I'm not going to say a whole lot now, but uh, Friday at Noggle's Funeral Home, 4 o'clock is visitation, 5 o'clock is the service, and uh, if you can make that, you're more than welcome. I'd love to have you there. We're going to honor and celebrate his life, and I'm going to say that, you know, God at times, he really does give us our desires, that his desire and our desire is that he wouldn't suffer, he didn't suffer. His desire and our desire was that he wouldn't go to a nursing home. Thank God he didn't go to a nursing home. His desire was that he'd just be asleep and then he would go to Jesus and that's exactly what happened. Our God is good. He's good. And I'm thankful for a man that loved Jesus and uh, he took one breath here and the next breath he was with the Lord. And uh, he was a Marine in World War II and just, I, just, I just think a little bit like, well done, soldier. Well done. So, amen. So we're looking at this thought of church, and we've looked at different aspects, and our foundational scripture is Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 46, and we've looked at, you know, uh, together, and we've looked at fellowship and we've looked at what it means to be the church. And Ryan looked at the important aspect of sharing Jesus and uh, talking about Christ. And so we look at characteristics of the early church, that first church, key components of that church. And um, really, we can make this thing complicated, what it means to live for Jesus, how to follow Jesus. And it really isn't that complicated. We looked at Acts chapter 2. Here's the church. Here's what they were doing. Teresa, in all the chaos last week of no electricity, the power of God was here. Amen? The worship team led us in worship. Amen. Amen. Uh, I think Teresa, that's the best she's ever preached and spoken. And I told her that, you know, that as she shared about worship, because we look at this early church, the first church, these key components, and we look at that, and if I could say this, and you've probably heard this before, you know, they really had the KISS principle going. Keep it simple, stupid. They, they had the KISS principle going. So what? They were saved. They were born again. They accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. How many would say, I'm saved today, I'm born again? Amen? Are you thankful for that this morning? Let's give the Lord. Amen. Amen. 
They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were devoted to the Word of God, the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. They were baptized in water. Uh, they went public with their faith, their profession of faith. Uh, they fellowshiped. That means they shared life together. They ate meals together. They took communion, remembered the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. They, they, they shared Jesus with others. They ministered. They worshiped. And here's where we're going today a, a little bit. They prayed. This first church had the ability to listen and they obeyed God. They did nothing without hearing from God. God said it. And they did it. They had this ability to hear the voice of God. And when I think about that, that is such a powerful and necessary quality to recognize the voice of God, to hear the voice of God. And so, as it was 2,000 years ago and today, there's four types of hearers or people. And I want you to, as I list these Think, where am I on this list? Put yourself and ask yourself, where am I at on this list? And so the first type of hearer or person is the disciple. And the disciple believes and is interested, very interested, a follower of Jesus Christ. There's the distracted. They believe, but really not so much interested. And I think that's a big place we're at today in the 21st century. The seeker does not yet believe, but is very interested. And then the resistant doesn't believe and not interested at all. So I'm going to ask you the question, and I know you've forgotten it already because that's just the way we are. But about three weeks ago, I asked you this question in the message. I'm going to come back to it. Whose voice is the loudest in your life? Whose voice is the loudest in your life? Is it your career? When you think about that, is your wife, your husband, is it maybe an addiction? Is it your kids? Is it a sport, a hobby, career, money? Whose voice is the loudest in your life? And our response, hopefully, it needs to be, and I use the verse from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9 in the Old Testament. Samuel, who became the prophet Samuel, was just a boy, and he was living and being raised in the house, in the temple of the priest Eli. And he thought Eli was calling him, and he kept going back to Eli in the middle of the night, the priest. And the priest finally recognized, no, I know what's going on here. God is speaking to you and calling you. And he wanted Eli, Eli wanted Samuel to begin to recognize and hear the voice of God. So he says, if you hear that again, here's the response. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And that began a lifetime of Samuel recognizing the voice of God. And hopefully, that would be my response and your response. Whose voice is the loudest in your life? And then we need to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so the question is, are we taking time to hear from God? Are we listening? And this is the big idea today. How do we recognize the voice of God? That's the big idea. How do we recognize the voice of God? Because how many's ever been challenged in that area? How many's ever been confused at times with that thing? 
And so we could do a whole series on prayer, and we've done that years ago, and I know next year we're going to do a series on prayer because there's so much we could say about that. And this is like the starting point. So stand with, with me if you would today, and we're just going to talk about that. Ways to recognize God's voice. If that impression, that idea, is it from God or not from God? Is that idea, is that impression from God or not from God? So if you would take your Bible, and this plays a key factor right here. So if you would uh, hold your Bible or your app that you have your Bible there, let's say it together, and let's just believe God's going to speak to us today, share with us today. I'm going to grow today. I'm going to be changed today because I'm meeting with the Lord, and His Word's going to work in my life. I'm going to allow His Word to work in my life today. This is my Bible. This is the Word of God. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. When I read and hear the word, faith comes to my spirit. I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God, and it will change my life. I'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You have a place you could take notes down there, hand out, use the app there, the outline. All the way back in 1940, Dr. J. Edwin Orr, and as you look at people of God, men of God in different times and different centuries, this was a man of God. But Dr. Orr took a group of Wheaton College students to study abroad in England. And one of their stops included the Epworth Rectory. Now, that rectory now serves as the Methodist Museum, and we see it was the home of the famous and great evangelist John Wesley of the 18th century, the 1700s. Him and his brother Charles, uh, man, they came to America, rode horseback. He was preaching the word of God, great moves of God, revivals. Charles wrote many of the hymns in the hymn books years ago. And we see that this was his home and the founder of the Methodist movement. And one of the bedrooms, there are two impressions in the floor. And it's believed that's where John Wesley would kneel in prayer, and he did that so often, it made impressions in the floor. As the students were getting back on the bus, Dr. Orr noticed that they're short a student. And he went back and went through the rectory, and he finally went upstairs back to the bedroom, and there he found, this is 1940, a young college student, Billy Graham, kneeling in those indentions in the floor, and he was praying, oh God, do it again. Oh God, do it again. Oh God, do it again. You see, prayer is the key. If we do what they did in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, and if we do what we need to do, I believe God will do what he always can do. And will do. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. Amen. He still speaks. He still saves. He still delivers. He still heals. Is there nothing God wants to do more than do it again 
and again and again and again. If we'll do our part, take time to hear from God. And so the question is, whose voice is the loudest in your life? How do we know when this idea or impression is from God or not from God? So here we go. There's six in the outline. I added a seventh. And it's real quick at the end, and it needs to be said. So seven. And seven's God's number. We couldn't do six. What was I thinking? I might have been a little distracted this week. (laughs) So six isn't a God number. Seven is. So number one, does it agree with the Bible? This impression, does it agree with the Bible? So it's very important to know when God's talking to you. And the fact is, one moment, it could be you. How many people talk to yourself? Come on. How many's ever caught yourself when you're talking to yourself, saying to yourself, that's a crazy idea. That can't be right. That's, that's wrong. You see, you disagree with yourself even. We can tell ourselves a lot of crazy things. You know, you know, the thought could, the impression could come from the enemy, the devil. The impression can come from God. It could be God talking to us. And, and we look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, and it says in the Living Bible, don't believe everything you hear just because someone says it's a message from God. Test it first to see if it really is. And the thing is, we can flip-flop so quickly. I believe this is God. Oh, I'm not sure this is God. I believe this is God. Oh, I'm not sure this is God. We can flip-flop because we see in Matthew 16, Jesus is walking and talking like he did so often, and he's having a conversation with his disciples, and he asks them a question. He says, who do people say that I am? What is being said about me? What is the word on the street in Jerusalem about me? And they said, well, some say you're, you're like the prophet Elijah come back or John the Baptist come back who was just recently executed. But who do you say that I am? And then Peter makes this declaration. And, and most of us know this. He says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. Human wisdom did not tell you that. That is a revelation from God the Father. You are right. That's what he's saying. That's a revelation from God the Father. You are right. And, and then Peter begins to say, after that great, that a boy, Peter, you're hearing from God. Way to be receptive. Way to recognize the voice of God. Way to say, way to go. And then Peter begins to say, we're never ever going to let you die on the cross. That's never ever going to happen. And, and with that, Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. He went from that a boy to get behind me, Satan. You had a thought from God, and that was correct. Then you had another thought, and that was not from God. That was from the devil, the enemy. So we can flip-flop on that. We can say, yeah, God. And then, oh, I don't know. How many's ever been there before? Yeah. We look at John 717 in the Message Bible, and Jesus says this, anyone who wants to do God's will can test this teaching and know whether it is from God or whether I am making it up. And what he's saying is check it out for yourself. 
What I am saying here today on Sundays, I want you to check it out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Go to the word of God. That's why we have notes for you and scriptures for you. We want you to get into the word of God. Our next series, we're going to have a number of questions, and you could work in this in a small group, but check out the word of God. Am I saying, and what we're saying, and others that preach, does it agree with the Bible? What you think God is saying to you, does it agree with the Bible? Because this is the reason. God will never, ever contradict what he has already said in his word. You need to hear that. God will never, ever contradict what he's already said in his word. That's why he said, our God is consistent. He will never violate a principle that he has put in his word He's consistent. Luke 21, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You look at Proverbs 12, 19, truth stands the test of time. What does that mean? If it's true and it's always been true, it'll always be true. Fads change, trends change. Uh, they come and go. Opinions change. Everything changes. Therapies change. Science changes but the truth of God will never, ever change. You think about that. God said we should be honest in our business dealings. That hasn't changed. How many would say that's true? That hasn't changed. Truth hasn't changed. God said we're created by him and for him. He values human life. That hasn't changed. God said sex was created by him for a man and a wife to experience in a commitment of marriage, that hasn't changed. God ordained and believes in marriage, not just when things are going great. How many married people do we have here today? Things always don't go great, do they? You can answer, answer honestly. It's okay. <laughs> don't look at each other. <laughs> that truth hasn't changed. It's not our revelations, our book, and then God's word, and that makes it complete. God's word stands alone. He doesn't need what I have to say, or man has to say, or another book to make this complete. And I say this with no disrespect. That's the way it is with the cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, and the Mormons. It's their book and the Bible. It's the Bible. The Bible stands alone. We don't need to help God out. Galatians 1, 8 says, let God's curse fall on anyone. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. This great man of God who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He says, let God's curse fall on anyone, including myself, who preaches any other message. Even if an angel comes from heaven, preached any other message. Let him be forever cursed. So my first impression, does it match the Bible? See, the vast majority of God's will, really, for your life is right here in this holy, without error book, God's Word. If I want to know God's will for my life, it's right here. Secondly, does it make me more like Jesus? Does this impression, if I follow through on it, will it make me more like Jesus? Because he is the standard by which we measure all of our ideas, all of our impressions that come to our mind. And see, God's goal for your life is you become like his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? What's God's goal for your life? He wants me to be like his son, Jesus Christ. And so we look in Philippians 2, 5, 
And the Apostle Paul says, have the same attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility. And I'm just going to say this about humility. We don't really understand humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. Oh, I could never do this, and I'm not good enough for this, and I can't see myself, and no, that's not for me. How many's ever beat yourself up like that? And, so, and that could be legitimate and true, and some of that could come through. We have a pride thing, but the thing is, this humility is talking about, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's what he's talking about. If God's goal is to make us like Jesus, he wouldn't lead us in a totally opposite direction. And so I say, do you believe God is good this morning? Amen. Amen? Do you believe God knows best? Do you believe he is perfect in all of his ways? Yeah. God wants Jesus' character in us. God wants our actions and reactions to be like Christ. And so we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the second part of verse 5, and taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of of Christ. There are a lot of thoughts that come to our mind. I need to weigh that by the standard of Jesus Christ. And, and here's this whole thing that Christians were into back in the 1990s that really came from the 1890s, a book. And it was, some of you remember this, WWJD. What would Jesus do? That's pretty simple, isn't it? I think it works. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in this scenario? What would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus do? See, we hear this, and God wants me to be like his son. Okay, I need a checklist. This word is full of checklists right here. He wants me to be like Jesus. What does that look like? I need to see that. Well, here's one right here. James chapter 3, 14 through 17 in the Amplified. It tells us, how do we know something's an impression from God, not from God? And it says this about the character qualities of Jesus. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, and I know none of us have ever experienced that, okay? It's those people out there. I, that's, yeah. And as a result, be in defiance of the truth. This superficial wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, secular, natural, unspiritual, even demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder, unrest, and rebellion, and every evil thing a morally degrading practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, morally and spiritually undefiled, then peace-loving, courteous, considerate, gentle, reasonable, and willing to listen full of compassion and good fruits. It's unwavering without self-righteous hypocrisy and self-serving guile. So, is this impression, I have pure impure? And if you have two and you're trying to convince yourself this is a God thing, and you're trying to convince yourself this is a Jesus thing, and trying to convince yourself that this is what I need to be. If you try to convince yourself, it probably isn't from God. If you're working overtime to convince yourself that this is a good thing to do, and I think we've all been there. How many's ever tried to convince yourself? It's okay, it's okay. And you have every reason that you want to convince. You even go to the Bible. Think about that. 
We go to the Bible sometimes. I'm going to find a verse because this verse is going to back me up. And, and I'm going to open up and God's going to show. Well, that's not the verse. Okay. I'm going to go and find another verse. Well, that's not the verse. Well, you know, you spent two hours. You're going to find a verse that probably works. If you try to convince yourself, it probably is not from God. Eh, convince yourself that this relationship is of God. Convince yourself that you don't need to tithe and give offerings. Convince, convince yourself that serving is for other people and not you. Convince yourself that you need or don't need to listen to godly leadership. Well, that's pretty obvious. That's not from God. You see, God's word is full of these checklists. Remember, when I get an impression from God, is it going to make me more like Jesus? And then, does my church family confirm it? Well, you first ask, does this idea agree with the Bible? Secondly, does it make me more like Jesus? And then third, does my church family confirm this idea? You see, we need wisdom and counsel in our lives from godly people to help us to stay on track because, well, I do. Sometimes I can get off track. How many found out you can get off track sometimes? You need people in your life that will speak the truth in love to you. Not just what you want to hear. We usually hear what we want to hear and then turn the deaf ear to everything else. And this has to be a package deal. If we don't listen to everything God has to say to us, we eventually won't hear anything that he has to say to us. How many heard that this morning? It's a package deal. And we probably need to hear most what we want to hear least. So we need some people in our life that are spiritually mature and godly that will speak the truth and love to us. The Apostle Paul says also in Ephesians 3.10, God's intent is that through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. You look in Proverbs 11.14, where there is no sound counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And that word safety or save means save you from mistakes, save you from failure, save you from danger, save you from embarrassment, save time. And that's why we're talking uh, about what we're talking about. Save money. That's why we're doing Financial Freedom 101. There's a lot of wisdom in the Word of God and principles in the Word of God to live by. Save us from making a wrong decisions. And someone saying to you that you need to listen to, and I'm thankful there's people that have said to me, and hopefully I'm open and they'll keep saying to me at times, hey, John, have you thought about it this way? Hey, have you considered this? How many have somebody in your life who will just ask you some simple, honest questions. Do you really think Jesus would do that? Do you think this agrees with the Bible? Does this make you more like Jesus? That's where too many of us mess up because you don't have mature Christian friends. You're not really in a, in a small group, a connect group, a Bible study. And that's why we're talking about this Together, our church, our family, you need some people that you know love Jesus, they pray, they hear from God, they have some miles uh, on them, and they are able to say and ask you the questions. 
And then we see, is it consistent with how God has made me? And we say this, and it's true, you're made by God and for God. And before you're born, God planned the contribution he wanted you to make with your life. God made you. He gave you abilities. He gave you passion. He gave you heart. He knew the contribution he wanted you to make right here on planet Earth. He designed you with a specific purpose. Amen? Amen. And many times, I'm sorry to say, too many of us think that we don't have much worth or value or talents or abilities, and what can I do, and I can't see. I want you to say to your neighbor right now, I want you to look at them and say, you're talented, you were planned by God. You were planned by God. No one here is a mistake. I want you to know that today. You were planned by God. It doesn't matter the circumstances of your birth, your family. You were planned by God. You're made by God and for God. He has a purpose for you. You have talents and abilities. Yes, they can develop. And yes, they can grow. And yes, they, they can flourish. But God has a plan for you how you're going to influence. You know, and I think of my dad and the life that he lived. And I'm not going to go into all that. I'll talk more at the service. But the one thing that struck me in these seven years that he was at Independence Court, not a nursing home, but he had oversight and he had some care and so close to our home in the church. He said to me one day, and it touched my heart because he was so hard of hearing. And... Um, well, that's a whole other story about the hearing aid thing and all that. I mean, that's just another story. <laughs> but he said, I just feel so bad. I like to just minister so much more here at the court. There's people here that need Jesus, and they really need Jesus in their last years, and I don't hear well at all. And I don't feel I can do much to tell them about Jesus like I used to, like I could. That just touched my heart. It really did. And I said, Dad, God knows, and you know this. I don't have to tell you this. He knows every detail of our lives, every plan, every moment, and he's using you just the way he wants to use you. You just keep being usable. You just keep being usable. And God wants you to hear that today. He planned you. He shaped you. Here's one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2.10, and I usually make jokes about it in a certain way. The Apostle Paul says here, we are God's workmanship. He does great work. He does. He does great work. Look around here today. He does great work. Great work. You know, I usually make the joke like, yeah, you're a real piece of work. We're a real piece of work. And some of us are. <laughs> but God does great work. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You see, God's plan is for us to know Jesus Christ, to know His Son, to be born again. And God's plan for us is to come into the family of God. And His plan for us is now to use talents, gifts, and abilities to serve Him. That's His plan. We're born again, and then we're saved to serve. God wants to use us. Romans 12, 6, the Living Bible says, God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. And we can grow, and we can flourish, but not all of us can do 
all things well. How many understand that? And, and I've used this before, but years ago uh, on the TV show, competition show, American Idol, there was the judge Simon Cowell. And, and I, his response to one contestant was this. Who told you you could sing? And the contestant responded, and he said, well, all of my friends. And Simon says, well, you need some new friends. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never forgotten that. <laughs> you see, God has created you for certain works, good works, good works. Then does it confirm my responsibility? If it's not your responsibility then why in the world would God talk to you about it? And I think this is a word for us in the day in which we live. Because you hear me say this every once in a while. We just got to comment on everything to everybody about everything. We got to talk about so much. We go on Facebook. We got to say it, say it, say it. They say it. We got to say what they say. And and say more about what they say. And the question is, is it my business? Is it my responsibility? You see, one day, again, Jesus was walking and talking with his disciples. And he began to talk about uh, exactly how Peter would die and what would take place. And Peter does what we do. As Jesus is talking to Peter about Peter, he turns around and says, well, what about this guy? And he points at John. And when he points to John and says, what about him? Jesus basically said to Peter, that's none of your business. You just follow me. That's not your concern. That's not your worry. You just keep obeying and following me. And his responsibility is to obey and follow me. That's his responsibility, the same for himself. And sometimes we need to say, say it with me, that's none of my business. That was hard for you, wasn't it? Several years ago, in fact, it was uh, January 2014, when I went to Israel with 20-some pastors, we were sitting eating dinner one night in Israel, having a great dinner, and the conversation came up. And, well, you can have lots of conversations with pastors, I'm telling you. You could even have some arguments and debates with pastors, let me tell you that. And so this was kind of going that direction, and they were all talking about a famous minister, uh, and they were saying things about him, one that you see on TV regularly and written a number of books, and they had some criticisms. And one pastor really had some issues that he didn't think this minister took a strong enough stance on issues publicly, and they're talking, and I'm just eating and listening, enjoying this great meal in Israel. And, and finally, they turn to me and say, what do you think? I mean, I, we just met these guys, you know, a couple days before. We're all new to each other. They said, John, what do you think? And I remember my response. I said, i tell you what I think. This is what I know. One day I'm going to stand before God, and when he looks at me, he's not going to ask me about him or anybody else. He's going to ask me about me and what I did with his son, Jesus Christ. That guy is not my responsibility. He is none of my business. Say that with me again. That's not my business. That's it. Jesus was telling Peter, in other words, get your act together. Don't go around judging other 
people, worrying about others. Don't look down on others like you are better than them. Listen for God to speak to you. You know, think about that. You have a hard enough time and I have a hard enough time knowing God's will for our life and what he's saying to us. What makes me think I know what God is telling you so well? There should have been a big amen right there. How about this phrase? And it's true, but it has been greatly abused at times. Here it is. God told me to tell you. <laughs> Woo! I, I always love that when there's been times people wanted to tell me that. God told me to tell you. And that's been greatly abused. And there have been times, and I could give you some real times that people have said to me, but they didn't say it just like that. And they've called me on the phone from out of state and said, I've been praying and I feel an impression. In fact, stronger than that, tell me if this makes any sense to you. I feel God is saying this and showing me this. And when they did that, they were dead on correct because I was called one time years ago and I was in the middle of prayer and I was in the middle of seeking God and I was in the middle of crying out to God and this person called me. In fact, he was an evangelist. He stepped off the stage in a service as they were praying and got on the phone and called me and when he called me, I was in prayer and he began to tell me the exact words that I was praying and I was crying out to God. So there's a time for that. But I think we need to do that with fear and trembling, not just walk up. God told me to tell you. Romans 14, 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant to his own master? He stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Focus on your responsibility. If God speaks it to you, and it's God, and if it's God and he wants you to share it with someone else, it is usually confirming what God is already speaking to someone else. Romans 10, 14, but you, why do you criticize your brother? Or again, why do you look down on your believing brother or regard him with contempt? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God who alone is judge. There are those rare occasions where we have to speak up because we care. But before we do that, we need to be patient and we need to pray a lot before we confront somebody else if we think we need to speak a word from the Lord to them. Six and seven. Six, is it convicting rather than condemning? And I want to explain the difference because there's too many Christians go through life in condemnation with guilt and shame, and they think it's the voice of God. And when you live with condemnation, that's not from God. That's from the? When you live with condemnation, that's not from God. That's from who? Come on, it's from the devil. Conviction comes from God. Condemnation comes from the devil. And see, the purpose of conviction is to correct something that's out of line in our life. That's from the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing. He loves us. He wants to get us back on track. That's a conviction because now that I know the Lord, I know that he lives in me. I know the Holy Spirit is present in me when something is happening in my life, when I'm thinking about something or making a decision or maybe there's something I have done that isn't right. What do I feel? What do I experience? What is that impression? It is conviction that God is saying, this isn't correct. 
This isn't right. Here's how you get back on track. Here's the way that you need to go because he loves me. See, the purpose of condemnation is to put you down, make you feel guilty, miserable, and ashamed. We know Romans 8.1. There's therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? No condemnation. Amen? Freedom, liberty, no condemnation. He says this also in Romans, the Apostle Paul, chapter 3, verse 19. Those whom I dearly and tenderly love. He tenderly and dearly loves you. I tell their faults and convict and discipline. So be earnest and repent, changing your mind and attitude. You know what good parents do that love their children? They discipline them. Because you love them. If you didn't love them, yeah, do whatever you want to do. Because I love them, I have to do the hard thing. That's a great thing about being a grandparent. I don't do that thing anymore. Yeah. You see, Satan, what is he? He's the accuser of believers. He wants to tell you everything you've done wrong, everything you've experienced. He wants to bring up every bad memory. He wants you to feel every bit of guilt and shame. He wants you to live in condemnation. He's the accuser of the believers. And then number seven, I said this is quick. When I have this impression, do I have peace? First Corinthians 14, God is not the author of confusion. If I don't have peace, this probably isn't from God. I'm not talking about, is there an element of fear? Is there an element of anxiety when you know it's a thing to do? And man, if your vision, you know, is intimidating you, it's insulting to God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, man, if I don't have a peace, that's probably not from God. He's the peace passes all human understanding. Do I have a sense of peace about this? As I close, let's stand together. Helen Keller, you remember her? Born in 1880. At 19 months of age, Helen Keller lost her vision and her hearing after about a meningitis. And because she couldn't hear, she lost her ability to speak. And that left her blind, deaf, and mute. And of the three, Helen said... And she considered deafness her greatest incapacity. Helen Keller famously said this, the only thing worse than blindness is having sight but no vision. And perhaps the same could be said of those who have hearing, but we don't listen. Whose voice is the loudest in your life? And Jesus said this, whoever has an ear let him hear. Listen. It's not that he's screaming. It's not that he's shouting. These other things in our life, distractions, busyness, some negative bad things and even good things are drowning out the small whisper voice of Jesus. And he wants us to hear his whisper. My sheep know my voice. 
whose voice is the loudest? Who are you hearing today? We can listen. And when we hear, we can follow. Very simple. I want to be a good listener so I can follow well. I want to be a good listener. I want to hear well so I can follow well. How many would say, that's what I want right now today? I think more than ever, the church of Jesus Christ right now needs to be able to hear and listen to the voice of God. Not do church because we know how to do church. Not how to function every week like we think we know how to function, but I want us to receive from that first church. It's all about Jesus. We're going to be a church that is all about Jesus, all about the Word. We're for each other. We're here for others. We're sacrificially generous. We're here to serve. We are going to be a praying church because Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, said, my house will be a house of prayer. I want to hear you today, Lord Jesus. We want to follow you well, Lord Jesus. Our culture isn't reading the Bible, but they're reading us. And Lord, may we represent you well this morning. I want to ask that again. How many want to be a good listener, a good hearer, so you can be a good follower? Lord, this morning, hands lifted high. That's our desire. And you say, give us the desires of our heart. You take us through different seasons. And as we step into another season, Lord, may we hear you well. May we be able to still ourselves so we can hear from you this morning. Let's sing. Then we're going to close. I'm going to ask the next important question. If you're here this morning, have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know this great Savior? Do you know this wonderful Jesus? Are you born again? Are your sins forgiven? Has everlasting life started to take place in you? Let me give you a moment to think about that. Let's sing this morning. Let's sing about his name, church. We call upon you, Lord.
if we will do what that first church did, if we'll listen to the Lord and obey the Lord, He still saves, He still speaks, He still heals, He still delivers. He's still God. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's one reason we're showing up Monday nights right here at 6.30 for prayer. We need to hear from the Lord. We need to pray one for another. If you're here this morning, and I'm closing, you'd say, I want Jesus. I need Jesus. I know I'm not walking with Him and following Him. And today, I want to really know this great Savior. I want to start a relationship with Him and start that journey. Raise your hand for me right now. We're going to pray with you. This is going to be the greatest moment of your life. Anybody here say, I want Jesus, and I need Him, and I know He's not real in my life. Thank you, sir, in the back. Thank you, sir. Thank you right here. Thank you. Let's give the Lord praise. Amen. 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 If you're around one of these folks right now, we're going to pray. Go to them if you would. We have a card we'd love for you to fill out. Take it. Give it to them. Take it to the Welcome Center that you accepted Christ today. You're starting a relationship. We're going to follow up and help you. But let's pray together. And people are coming into the family of God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're for me and not against me. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for the plan of salvation. I thank you for Jesus. And right now, I believe Jesus is the Savior. And I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me. Take my sin. I want you in my life. I want to follow you. I want to live life your way. Right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I thank you that I'm forever changed. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Praise God. Amen. Amen.